Hare Krishna. If you're listening to this, if you can hear it, get on down here to the temple room because we want your association. Thank you for considering my request. Jaya Radha Madhava
Krishna Krishna Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Keep a shloka book with you. You have one here? There should be uh, several in the temple room. You can order them from BBT. Narayanam Namaskritya Naram Chaiva Narotamam Devim Sarasatim Vyasam Tato Jayam Udiraye We're reading from the Srimad Bhagavatam. Canto 12, Chapter 9, Markandeya Rishi sees the illusory potency of the Lord. We're taking up at text number 7. The word for word. Suta Uvacha. Suta Goswami said. Iti, in these words. Idata, glorified. What does the word Idata mean? If I would say glorified in Sanskrit, what, what word would I use? Correct. How about Sutta Uvacha? Who's Sutta Goswami? Who? Use the microphones. Get the microphone. Who's his father? His father still alive? Is he Canadian? Who's his father? Huh? No. Close, but no, no Pakora. Um, come on, tell who he is. You said it. Yes. What happened to Romaharshana? Take the mic. If you don't know, go down in flames. Come on. Say it. Lord Balaram killed him. Why? Why did Lord Balaram kill Roma Harshan? Give him the mic. It doesn't count unless you say it in the mic because there's devotees listening here. When Lord Balaram came to the assembly, uh, Roma Harshan Sutta did not stand up to offer his respects. That is correct. Where was that assembly? That is correct. And the way he killed him was extraordinary. He just touched him with a blade of kushagra. Right. So, what did he notice about Romaharshan Balaram uh, when Romaharshan didn't stand up that he normally wouldn't have noticed? For twenty points, it's a detail. He was he was proud. Yes, he was proud. But what about his uh, character, his background that Balaram noticed that specifically made him wonder? He was a, a mixed caste. Mixed caste. There's Pratiloma. 
There's a way in which a higher caste marries a lower caste, and then it becomes mixed. At that time, it was considered a fault. So Balaram wouldn't have noticed the fault at all if he had stood up. The very purpose of somebody sitting on the Vyasasana is to represent Srila Vyasadeva. That means one doesn't think that I'm the center, just like somebody blowing the conch shell doesn't think now everyone's looking at me. They think I'm opening the altar curtains so that everyone can see Krishna. So if there's a tinge of pride when somebody is delivering the message of Krishna, then Krishna, especially Lord Balaram, who's the guru, he represents the guru, he wants to clear that path so that actual dharma can come through and the, the pure message. So Sutta Goswami, why was he, how, and how, by what device was he installed on the Vyasasana after his father? What was the logic behind that? The argument was that the son represents the father. <clears throat> so the sages wanted Ramaharshan, and they had given him a benediction to live a long life. And the logic was, well, the son is the representative, so his life will be continued by the son. Nice. So it was transferable. The fact is, they gave a benediction that you live a long life, and now Balaram killed him and said, I mean, you could do whatever you want, Balaram, because you're the Supreme Personality of Godhead, but we gave him a benediction. Could you help us out on this? And then they decided that there was this clause they found in the law books there that you can transfer the benediction. So they transferred it to Sutta Goswami. What was Sutta Goswami's qualification for sitting on, besides just inheriting it from his father? Who can quote from the Shastra and tell what it was about Sutta Goswami that was so appealing to the sages at Naimasharanya? Use the mic if you don't know. He heard it from Shaktiya Goswami. Okay. But there was something about his quality, the quality of Sutta Goswami. Yes. He had uh, realized Bhagavatam and told that repeatedly many times. Yes, but why had he realized Bhagavatam specifically? Tatvavit for the close. Okay, take the mic. He was submissive. Yes, he was submissive. Find the verse. Bhagavatam, first chapter. He was submissive to his teachers. They noted that. They said, therefore, because you're submissive, you have imbibed, imbibed means to drink, you've imbibed the teachings of your uh, spiritual masters very readily because of your attitude. You have the proper attitude, which is saumya, gentle, and submissive, open. And so that's why Sutta Goswami was installed. And also, why did the sages first assemble at, at uh, Naimasharanya? Naimasharanya? Yes, Prabhu. Here, give them the mic quick. To hold off the advent of Kali Yuga by performing sacrifice. But what was their first intention when they got there, before they met Sutta Goswami? What was their first idea when they were performing sacrifice, before they heard from Sutta? who is a pure devotee. Tatvavit Prabhu? It was welfare work. They had the welfare of the people in mind. Yeah, they also, they had some idea of doing some karmakanda sacrifice there. It wasn't working out. In fact, it's mentioned that 
they were performing yagyas, and the smoke from the fire was just turning black. And when they met Sutta Goswami, they got, they got this higher conception of the Bhagavatam that transformed them. In fact, they're given as examples of those who start off with some kind of material motivation, but by good association, then they become transformed and elevated. Did you find the verse? Please? Please keep your phones on. Turn up the ringer. Because if your phone goes off in class, you have to buy a Sri Shapanishad. It's $5. Okay, go ahead. So, 118. And because you are submissive, your spiritual masters have endowed you with all the favors bestowed upon a gentle disciple. Therefore, you can tell us all that you have scientifically learned from them. So this is the secret. The secret isn't uh, an academic approach to the Shastra, although there's nothing wrong with minutely studying the scripture. However, when one becomes submissive, veta tvam saum yatat sarvam tatvatas tadanugrahat bruyu shnignasya sishyasya guruvo guhyamaputa said he was he had endeared himself snigdasya to his uh, mentors to his gurus and therefore they had bestowed all their blessings upon him there's a transmission from the heart of the great souls into the submit, heart of the submissive disciple that's an intangible that can't be achieved through academic work so this is why sutta was qualified and then they're now they're listening with rapt attention so it was a seminar, as you mentioned, to bring in the Kali Yuga to find out how to do the greatest good for all the people. And our seminar here was three days, two and a half days. How long was their seminar? Say a thousand years. thousand years. thousand year seminar. Why don't we advertise for that here? We're going to have a thousand year seminar. Or we could have a thousand year kirtan. Forget these 12 hour kirtans. Let's have a thousand year kirtan. Any babies born here, you have to fill them in that you're, you're part of a thousand-year sacrifice. <laughs> have to continue it for several generations. Okay, so Sutta Goswami said, now we know Sutta Goswami, a little bit about the context. He's speaking still and here in the 12th chanto, canto. Iti, uh, in these words, idita, glorified, archita, worshipped. Kamam, satisfactorily. Rishana, by the sage Markandeya. Bhagavan, the personality of Godhead. Mune, O wise Ashaunaka. Tataiti, so be it. If you were going to say so be it in Sanskrit, what would you say? What is it? Yeah, so today you have to use that in, in a sentence. That's your homework. If somebody tells you something and you agree with it, what do you say? Tataiti. We'll popularize that. Tataiti. Saha. He. Smayam. Smiling. Pragat. Departed. Badri Ashrama. Badri Ashramam, Badri Ashramam 
for the Hermitage Badarikashrama. Ishvara, the Supreme Lord. Translations, Sutta Goswami said, O wise Shaunaka, thus satisfied by Markandeya's praise and worship, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, smiling, replied, So be it. So be it. So be it. And then departed for his hermitage at Bhattarikashrama. Please repeat. Sutta Goswami said, O wise Shaunaka, Thus satisfied by Markandeya's praise and worship, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, smiling, replied, so be it. Replied, so be it. And then departed for his hermitage at Bhattarikashram. Sutu vacha ititor chita kamam Vishina Bhagavan Mune Tateti Sasmayan Pragad Badarashramam Ishvara Sutu Vacha Dito Rchita Kamam Rishina Bhagavan Mune Rishina Bhagavan Mune Tateti Sasmayan Pragad Tateti Sasmayan Pragad Badri Ashramam Ishvara Badri Ashram Ishvara Purport The words Bhagavan and Ishvara in this verse refer to the Supreme Lord in his incarnation as the twin sages Nara and Narayana. According to Srila Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur, the Supreme Lord smiled ruefully. Please look up the word ruefully, please. Ruful. Ru. R-U-E-F-U-L-L-Y. Hare Krishna. Go ahead. Showing or feeling regret for something done. Exciting pity or sympathy. Troubled, so mournful, regretful. It's an adverb. First known use, 13th century. From which language? It doesn't say. Somebody have a better dictionary? Find out where it came from. So can you imagine the, the Lord with a rueful smile? What is a rueful smile, someone said? Okay. Regretful smile. Who can do a regretful smile? You're not smiling or anything. What does it look like? Come on, somebody. You're, you're an actor. Give him the mic. He doesn't need the mic. He can just do a rueful smile. Go ahead. You. Yeah. What do you think? Show, show the devotees in the back to see what they think. <laughs> Rueful smile? Just imagine the Supreme Personality of God. He, he, he glorified him, did Mark and Rishi, and then, and then uh, the Lord's there, and he gives a rueful smile, so he smiles. Where else does Krishna smile that you can think of in the Shastra? He smiles at his devotee. Yes? 
Yes, take it. When Arjuna submitted himself to Krishna on the battlefield of Kurukshetra, and then Krishna smiled because he was uh, happy that his devotee was accepting him as is that correct? Master. He he had yes. It, better look that up. Get a Gita because that smile was a. I do recall in the Gita that he also smiles whenever Arjuna asks him to to show him who's on the battlefield or. He wants to see all his relatives. Arrayed. Yeah, he has different kinds of smiles in different places. In fact, in the Nectar of Devotion, there's a whole section on smiling. And that there's smiling where you don't show your teeth. There's smiling where your teeth start to show, just like yours just now almost. And then there's bigger smiles. These are all... Smile is a big deal. What if somebody walks down the hall and doesn't smile at you? What do you do? You go home and start stewing over it like... They must hate me or something like that. I mean, it's a big deal, but what if the Lord smiles at you? Or what if he smiles ruefully? What are you going to think? Yes, Prabhu. Yes, give the verse. Krishna smiling. Bhagavad Gita, chapter 2, text 10. O descendant of Bharat, at that time, Krishna, smiling in the midst of both the armies, spoke the following words to the grief-stricken Arjuna. Yes, and now tell, see if it's in the purport why he smiled. <clears throat> As friends, both of them were on the same level, but one of them voluntarily became a student of the other. Krishna was smiling because a friend had chosen to become a disciple. Oh, that's nice. What a nice smile. The Lord's smiling because a friend decided to become a disciple. Yes. So we found the origin. The origin of the word ruefully is a Germanic word that means repentance. Repentance. What is the German word? Is it there? No. Okay. So, according to Srila Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur, the Supreme Lord smiled ruefully because he prefers that his pure devotees stay away from his illusory energy. Where's another instance in the 10th canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam where Krishna preferred that his pure devotees his associates stay away from the illusory energy. Give you a hint, they were kids. Who said Agasura? Yeah, can you say more about it? Well, Krishna was amazed at his the cowherd boys would simply walk into a dangerous situation on the basis of him protecting him. It was just amazing the kind of confidence. And he was standing back a little bit, just watching them do this, on on the fact that he would save them. Look it up, that section. Because actually he he notices his energies working. And he's he's a bit um, taken aback by it. He also doesn't want the coward boys to walk into Agasura. But they look at his smiling face and they walk in anyway. Actually, I don't know if he was smiling at that time, but they look at his beautiful face and then they walk right into Agasura. And Krishna's, uh, yes, you got it? Okay. Bring the mic. So the German word is rough haft. I don't know if I'm Are there any it, Germans but... in here? Ruft haft? R U F 
H-A-F-T. And it means? Rufo. Rufo. Yeah. Rufo, regretfully. So Krishna's smiling, but he's regretful and smiling there. And you'll hear in just a second this verse from the 10th canto about Krishna's feelings when he sees the coward boys entering into Agasura, in the, uh, dealing with his illusory energy. A curiosity to see the illusory energy of the Lord sometimes develops into sinful material desire. Nonetheless, to please his devotee, Markandeya, the Lord granted his request, just as a father who cannot convince his son to give up pursuing a harmful desire may let him experience some painful reaction so that he will voluntarily desist. Give us the verse. Thank you. Krishna. Oh, I was in Krishna book. Krishna book, okay, go ahead. Krishna is the assurance of safety to everyone, but when he saw that his friends were already out of his hands and were lying within the belly of a great serpent, he became momentarily aggrieved. He was also struck with wonder at how the external energy works so wonderfully. He then began to consider how he could kill the demon and at the same time save the boys and cows. Thank you. And did you all catch the last sentence I read here? And were you astounded by it? Shall I read it again? Okay. Nonetheless, to please his devotee. Okay, two sentences that were extremely important. Curiosity to see the illusory energy of the Lord sometimes develops into sinful desire. What did that just say? Yes. Where could you, um, if you were to give some framework for that philosophically, where, where would you look? Or, or what verses would you quote, maybe from the Bhagavad Gita, to substantiate that if you get a little curious looking at the material energy, that you can become captured by it? Pandichi, go ahead. Dayato vishyam pumsa sangas teshu vijayate sangat sanjayate kama kama krodho vijayate. Bhagavad Gita 2.62. Correct. While, Say a little more about it. While contemplating the objects of the senses, one develops attachment. From attachment, lust arises. From lust, um, anger arises. So this word jayato means to contemplate. It, it's, it's, it could be, uh, you know, the idea could be related to curiosity. Contemplation, because you're curious. And you look at it, and then you develop an attachment for it, a sangha. Jayato vishayam, when you're meditating, contemplating, curious about the illusory energy. Jayato vishayam pumsam, sanghas teshu pajayate. Means that the, that person develops a sangha. Anga means a part. And sangha means that you actually, it becomes part of you now. You connect to it by looking at it. And now it's part of your life, and you got to you have to deal with it. It's very sticky. So uh, here, Krishna's, uh, we're hearing from the words of the acharyas, especially Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur, is saying that actually Krishna doesn't like it when the living entities get curious about the material energy and start contemplating it. And then we hear. Nonetheless, now this is a fascinating philosophical point, even though he doesn't uh, like it. 
Nonetheless, to please his devotee Markandeya, the Lord granted his request. So what do you make of that? What could you say about that that's practical and important for us? Yes, go ahead. Based on yesterday's lecture where you said that even though we have a desire which the Lord doesn't like, still he fulfills that desire. Yeah, I mean, I could be cultivating or let's say maintaining a material desire. And it's not necessarily that uh, Krishna is going to immediately intervene. He may allow me to uh, have curiosity, to maintain it, to continue it for some time until he uh, arranges a way uh, to frustrate the desire, which is one of the aspects we talked about yesterday. But overall, he gives this freedom to his parts and parcels to explore as they wish in various ways. So we have to consider that it's incumbent upon me to develop a clear idea of what's activity that is beneficial and that which isn't and make a distinction between the two. We have to be responsible and realize I'm an agent for change and also just not wait for Krishna to... Uh, arrange a situation where it, it becomes intolerable and therefore I'm forced to give it up. Yuri Rajmarsh tells a story about when he was um, in Mumbai, in Bombay, and there was a young man who was translating Prabhupada's books into Marathi. And the young man's father would come with him sometimes to meet uh, Prabhupada to discuss the translations. And the young man's father had a, a habit of smoking. And then uh, several times he regretfully said to Prabhupada that he was having a hard time giving it up. So he finally said to Prabhupada, when Prabhupada asked him, have you given it up, that I need special blessings. Please give me special blessings. And Prabhupada said, you can get special blessings, but it means that Krishna may make you so miserable that you'll be forced to give it up. So would you like the special blessings? And he said, no, 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 I'll, I'll do it voluntarily. So those who develop this resolve by hearing from Krishna in the Bhagavad Gita and seeing that I'm a responsible living entity, I have agency, it means that I can actually determine my future according to whether I uh, maintain this weakness of heart or I let it linger, the weakness of heart, or whether I decide to do something about it and develop a spiritual strength, on the other hand, because then I can move forward. Srila Vyasadeva speaks about this in the Vedanta Sutra. He says, this is a logical point, that if Krishna and the Shastra, rather, is saying to the living entity, improve, then it means you can improve. Otherwise, the Shastra would have no meaning. And he said it also means we're agents for change, that we can make the determination and change. Krishna says it in another way in the end of the third chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, where he's describing the hierarchy of agents in our body and mind. He says, Indriyani prayanyahur indribya paramanaha manasastu parabhudir yobhudhe paratasusaha. Lowest of all are the senses. Above the senses is the mind. Above the mind is the intelligence. And above the intelligence is the 
is the? You sure? No, it's the soul, you're right. Is the Atma. So the Atma is on top of the hierarchy. And then he says, Evam Budiparam Budva Samstabhyatmanamatmana Jahi Shatram Mahabaho Kama Rupam Durasadam. That he says you have to fortify your intellect and therefore overcome lust. Because if your intelligence is contaminated, then you'll make decisions based on trying to enjoy the material energy, become more implicated. But by studying Bhagavad Gita and hearing through the parampara, one can purify one's intellect and develop a strength through which one can then make proper decisions and not become implicated in the illusory energy. Is that all right? Say yes or I can't move forward. Okay. And if you don't think it's all right, then say so and we can have more discussion. Okay, so the prophet gives this analogy. He says, nonetheless, to please his devotee, Mark and Dea, the Lord granted his request just as a father who cannot convince his son to give up pursuing a harmful desire may let him experience some painful reaction so that he will then voluntarily desist. Thus, understanding what would soon happen to Markandeya, the Lord smiled as he prepared to display the illusory potency to him. I offer my respectful obeisances to his divine grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, and to all of you, because you are Vaishnavas, and therefore the most worshipable in the three worlds, Hare Krishna. And this um, development of resolve, which this verse points to indirectly, which may be a contradiction in terms. But in any case, there's a way in which my path to improvement in devotional service can easily be hampered by my having developed a path to some inferior goal. It was like yesterday when we were going door to door and we presented the Bhagavatam. And we gave good, clear reasons why a uh, person, a spiritually minded person, should keep a set of Bhagavatams in his or her house. However, um, I noticed that most of the people we talked to already had an inferior path chalked out for themselves inside their house. They had patterns uh, of psychological patterns that they're enacting every day. The way that they eat, the kind of food they eat, the, the kind of vibration they're hearing inside the house and so forth was indicative of an inferior path. If, if we actually objectively look at the various uh, habit patterns one can develop, we could uh, say that one is inferior and the other is superior based on Krishna's analysis of the uh, levels of energy. That There's inferior energy like bhumir apo analovayu kamano budir evacha hankara itiya me bina prakriti rashtata and there's superior energy and we could argue that the, the path that leads one to awareness of the superior energy and 
What's more, the Supreme Personality of Godhead is the superior path. However, it's easy enough to become entrenched in an inferior set of habit, habit patterns. And as I said, I noticed that when we were going door-to-door yesterday. Uh, people, although they had a glimmer of appreciation for what we were doing, they, they were already uh, committed to a, a lifestyle that was inferior. And that's uh, difficult to overcome, wouldn't you say? When you're committed to a lifestyle, that you may be obligated in various ways to continue the lifestyle, even if you think that I... Th- I um, understand that, for instance, the uh, the sadhana that one would perform in devotional service is a good idea, but then what might hold me back in my present life? Even though I think that it's a good idea to perform uh, strict, serious, and sincere sadhana, what kinds of um, thoughts or obligations might hold me back from doing that? Yes. Use the mic. Stuck in a mundane job. Stuck in a mundane job. Can you say more about that? Um, a lot of times people go to these jobs and they work really long hours and they're tired or they just want to come back and hang out instead of do anything that's progressive for them. And why are they stuck in it? Why can't because they just walk that's away? Their mentality that they want to make money or they want to build or they think they're getting somewhere with something like that. Well, don't they have to make money to live? Well, and not if you come into an ashram. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that that might be one reason you feel some obligation to make money because you want to maintain a, an independent lifestyle. Yes, Prabhu, what else would hold you back? So what would other people think? Like, I've oh, been that's this. a strong one, isn't it? Can you say more anything more specific? Or if anyone wants to be vulnerable and tell about their personal life, that will be even more interesting. Everyone will definitely wake up and listen. Go ahead. <laughs> You've been doing the same thing for a long time, have a set of social circle, and you want to break away from that and uh, get away from your comfort zone or something like that. What might people say if you do try to break away or if you start doing something differently than you were before? People mostly say you're crazy. They say you're crazy, and how how would that make you feel? Bad, because you've been with them for a long time, and the people you know don't really think you're doing the right thing. Very interesting. So one is we have a job, we're making money, and there's sort of a, a risk. It seems like a risk to not have that, right? And But meanwhile, the job is very um, uh, entangling and so forth, and it doesn't give me time to actually uh, develop myself spiritually. And the other one is there's societal expectations, familial expectations from friends, family, and these can be oppressive, right? I, I want to do what my parents say, so that I restrict myself from uh, going ahead with the process of devotional service wholeheartedly because, after all, I have to accommodate them, right? Yes. Okay. Yes, another one. Pranatakaruna, what holds us back from full-fledged investment in devotional service? Uh, recently, I was... Uh watching a live class from Denver, uh, Shamir Prasprabhu was given class, and I asked him about doubts. And uh, he told me that there are two classifications of doubts. He said there's doubts and then there's misgivings. And he said the doubts is when someone has a philosophical doubt, but then you can 
just tell them, you know, the correct answer and they're pacified. But then misgivings are when they have preconceived, you know, ideas. And he said that those tend to be a big, bigger obstacle. Give it an example of a doubt and a misgiving. Maybe I hear I'm I'm not my body, but I don't know. I'm kind of doubting how that could be. I don't have a conception of, of what I am, but I I kind of don't know if I'm not the body. But then I think a misgiving would be like, well, I'm a I'm a light, not a individual soul, or something like that. Okay, so uh, these philosophical considerations has. This is mentioned in the Bhagavad Gita. Krishna says, "Klesho dikartarastesham avyakta sakta tejasam avyakta hi gatir dukam dehavadbir avapyate." And Prabhupada, this verse says Krishna is saying that the impersonal path is very troublesome; it's difficult. And Prabhupada says, if one has been on that path for some time, then it's it's actually difficult, more difficult to come to the bhakti path because one gets conditioned by that idea that the Lord's impersonal, not a person. And this is, could be an idea of a misgiving, right? And that there's various doubts. Doubts, misgivings, being obligated to some uh, independence through economic toil, and then the familial expectations. If we start adding them all up, there are quite a few ways in which we might be waylaid or delay the path are, are are walking the path of devotional service very strongly. So um, this is why the Bhagavatam takes great pains or the, the um, great souls in the Bhagavatam who are speaking go to great lengths to explain various scenarios in which people have become entangled uh, they, the Bhagavatam warns us to be careful. Uh, there's a section in the uh, Puranjana pastime where Nadamuni is giving uh, an a, um, analogy to Prachinabharishat. And he describes, actually he's speaking to the, the sons of Isnarda, to the sons of uh, Daksha. And he gives them an analogy. And he tells them at one point that there's a hole in which once once one enters, one doesn't come back. <laughs> They're very intelligent, so they understood his analogy very perfectly, and they they could see that it was that he was speaking about the material world. That once you enter into it, you don't come back out again. And I was considering that that the decisions that I make uh, can be intractable. Uh, so. It's, it's actually vital to develop one's spiritual intelligence so as not to become implicated by entering into certain holes and not being able to get back out again. Once you go in, you can't come back out. Or that really means that it's very difficult to come out because obviously you can come out of the material world. But don't go in in the first place is a much better policy. You have some revelation. Go ahead. That was good. That's a service attitude, thinking ahead. Okay, so now we'll take some reflections or questions. Yes. 
So the point about how Markandeya Rishi, even after he saw Naranarayan Rishi, he still had this desire to see the illusory energy. How does that compare to Arjuna on the battlefield and then asking to see the cosmic manifestation? Prabhupada explains that he wanted to see the cosmic manifestation or the universal form in order to validate Krishna's position as the supreme personality of God. It wasn't necessarily material desire. He he wanted for posterity's sake others to uh, notice that Krishna could manifest his universal form. So it's a slight difference there. Yes, Prabhu. This this pastime also remembered me or reminded me of Lord Shiva wanting to see Mohini Murthy's form and um I looked up the verses in Canto 8, and Lord Shiva says, My Lord, we have come here de- desiring to see that form of your Lordship which you showed to the demons to captivate them completely, and in this way enable the demigods to drink nectar. I am very eager to see that form. And then Shukadeva Goswami said, When Lord Vishnu was thus requested by Lord Shiva, who carries a trident in his hand, he smiled with gravity. And replied to Lord Shiva as follows. So we have a rueful smile, and then we have a, a smile with some gravity. <laughs> Could you please demonstrate? Smile. Can I get a you just got one. Christian. Oh, okay. Go ahead. Show tough a bit, see if he'll accept it. He's right behind you there. Just go for it. Scale of one to five, how did you do? Pretty good. Gravity, it's hard to have a smile with, and be grave at the same time, but the Lord did it. Now, interesting in this uh, context of Lord Shiva asking to see the form of Mohini Murti, you'll notice that afterwards he was grateful because it glorified Krishna. He has no envy in his heart that he was soundly defeated by this form of Mohini Murti when the Lord showed the form Lord Shiva whose prowess is practically unparalleled was enamored of her and chased after her he passed semen all over the place it made gold mines, silver mines and Lord, the Lord ran past all the hermitages of sages who worshipped Lord Shiva I mean it doesn't get much more humiliating than that and and then afterwards, Lord Shiva was deeply appreciating the fact that he had been defeated by the Lord's potency, thinking that this glorifies him even more. Um, and so, you know, when when great devotees ask to see the illusory potency, and there may be various motivations that they have, as in the case of Lord Shiva, to to see the Lord's uh, potency. Nonetheless, we still get the instruction today that Krishna doesn't like us dabbling. Dabbling is really, actually can be really um, a shocking experience because if you dabble with something, you think, I barely touched it, and then suddenly your little finger gets caught, and then your hand, then your arm, then your shoulder goes in, and next thing you're going through the grinding machine, the whole body. And you think, but I just put the tip of my finger in. 
then it's almost worse than if you've made a full commitment to commit suicide by jumping into the material energy because what you could have had if you just kept your little finger out of it. I know that one devotee who had had a, a, a drug habit and had uh, been fully engaged in devotional service for a long time made a stopover in some um, far-flung place on the planet where drugs are fully available. And uh, he he died suddenly uh, make it in transit, just stopping over there from taking an overdose of a drug that he used to take years and years ago. And he went back to dabble, and then I just... Um, think about what was going through his mind when he was leaving his body. Like, you know, couldn't I have just um, you know, not done that? I mean, it was so close. So dabbling is is um, not something that Krishna recommends very much. Better to forego the the uh, the urge. Even if one's curious about the illusory energy, and is a great sage. Perhaps it's better to um, leave it to the uh, leave it for another time. Last point from Tapvivit Prabhu for the close. Just a reflection about the demigods. We didn't mention them too much, but in Bhagavad Gita, Krishna does say that if a person has a desire to obtain something material from a demigod, then Krishna will give him the faith, and actually Krishna will give the result also. It might appear the demigod gives the result, but Krishna gives it. So Krishna gives some latitude to people to, you could say, dabble. Uh, but then, he, of course, he says it's not the right thing to do. But he, he, he sets it all up for people who want that. Yeah, this means free will. Because if you didn't give full facility for living entities to enjoy in the material world. as we, I think we pointed out in the class in Austin. Krishna, uh, when he says free will, he means it, that he provides facility for it. For instance, 8,400,000 species of life is a lot. He could have just said, you know, 20 or 200, and then your ride's over. And you'd say, oh, come on. <laughs> I want to try a few more. But 8,400,000, that's quite a few tries uh, to strike out on. And also the way that Krishna uh, arranges so that as Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur says, the bhaktas aren't always immediately successful in their practice. And one of the reasons he quotes is that uh, Krishna withholds the full result so that the jnanis and the karmis don't get uh, disappointed. Otherwise, if they saw the bhaktas fully successful every as soon as they started the path of bhakti then they would be disappointed with their path and but and that's what they want to do is be on those paths so krishna gives them facility by not discouraging them in various ways so that was the last point but you're just making a um 10 second point to close the class also you shared earlier in your classes where Association makes it so important that let's say a devotee is going down the road planning to go to a bar, but then he sees a devotee and then he asks, where are you going? He says, just, well, just going to the temple. And then immediately the trajectory changes. 
So that's right. Association is very important. In fact, there was a. I saw that in one city, and I can't remember which one it was. There was a bar called the Temple Bar. I think it's in Berkeley, and that's how tricky the illusory energy is because naturally, you know, one would go home, tell his wife, "Whatever, where were you? It's at the temple." But Krishna gives facility if somebody wants to cheat himself. If uh, unless I'm. I'm actually come to that safe platform or actually don't even want to cheat myself. That, that Krishna will give facility where you could say I was at the temple and you're knocking them back at the temple bar until one in the morning. So it's, it's important to, um, search one's own, uh, inner workings and find out where the snags are and also to develop a, a life of Dedication to Krishna through one's activities. Reform is important on a regular basis, daily basis, maybe even momentary basis to reanalyze how am I doing because a tatasta energy can go off in any direction at any time by degrees and end up in a different universe. So don't think it's uh, overly being overly careful to re-examine one's position every day and say, you know, how am I doing now? And readjust it. Don't think that I'm okay, because it's very easy to get into Niyamagraha and just follow the rules and regulations, but they have the wrong internal makeup by which one becomes waylaid. Srimad Bhagavatam ki jai, Srila Prabhupada ki jai, Gaur Bhaktivinoda ki jai, Gaur Prevanande, Nitai Gora Haribo, Haribo, Hari bo, nitai gora hari bo, nitai gora hari bo, bo, hari bo, nitai gora hari bo. You're supposed to stop right at the end, but we'll try it next time. Thanks to everyone who's joined us online. Hare Krishna. His grace for Shishika Prabhu Ki. Shilaprabhupada Ki. Gaurabhakta Vrinda Ki Jai.